0: So, here we are, we're in the last week of Samson, and it's really been a, a, one, of those, uh, one of those messages, one of those series that I was just talking with somebody between services here, and they said, you know what, this is probably one of my more uh, favorite um, me- series, mes- uh, series of messages, and, and I said, you know, I-, I think I tend to agree because it's kind of like you're getting punched in the gut, um, which I don't really know why that's enjoyable, but anyway, that's kind of how it goes sometimes, right? But to give you a little bit of an overview of Samson, because here we are, this is week four, we've gone through, we've looked at it in, starting in Judges 14, now we're ending up in 16, and Samson is an interesting character because Samson is one of those that didn't necessarily choose to follow God, it was that God chose him, and an angel announced his birth to his parents, and his, he also, the angel also told his parents that Samson was going to be set apart from birth. That he was going to be a Nazirite, which meant that he would not eat anything that had to do with grapes. That means eating or drinking or anything of that nature, but also that he would never cut his hair. And that's the interesting part about that is you can read about it in Numbers chapter 6 if you want to learn more about the Nazirite vow. But here for, for Samson, this is one of those things that he grew up just knowing this was part of his life, that he was going to be set apart And as a result, he ended up having this amazing superhuman strength. And the interesting thing that we find about Samson, though, is that even though he had amazing strength, he had an incredibly weak will. Samson continued to just mess up and find himself in situations where he wasn't truly honoring God with his life, but here he was still using the strength of God in all of these areas. He ends up at the end of his life with his eyes gouged out in chains, grinding grain in prison, and providing entertainment for the Philistine leaders. Like so many, Samson was emotion driven. Not spirit led. And we looked at emotions and we, we looked at these attitudes that kind of take us away from the things that God has for us. And, and we looked at this, this ever growing thought in our minds of, I want, and with those things that we pursue, that kind of lust of life that we are running after, those things that, that we are going uh, straight for because I want them. I want that car. I want that home. I want that job. I want that person. And then that want slowly turns to I deserve. We believe that since we work hard, since we do the thing, since we have the account, since we have that job, since we have this relationship, whatever it is, we then begin to believe that we deserve because I am better than them. Although we might not ever say that out loud. We, our wants turn to I deserve. And that I deserve says, you know what, when it comes to me, I can handle it. And we walk through this this entitlement and lust all mixed in that then culminates in pride. And that pride is the beginning of all of the destruction that happens in our lives. And we learn that pride and anger are those emotions that go out of control. They just wreak destruction all over the place. And it's not that we're doing those things intentionally every single step of the way. It's because Samson didn't find himself in this place of humiliation all at once. It wasn't just one fell swoop. It was one step at a time, one bad decision after another. He was going the wrong direction for far too long. He was chasing the wrong things. And so we asked ourselves, okay, well, really, in God's Word, is there a remedy to this? Is there, does God have a plan to kind of pull us out of our emotion-driven tendencies? Does He have a plan to kind of pull us out of those attitudes that, that really don't honor Him? And we landed on this. It was from Paul to the church in Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. He says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And we said, you know what, really this is our goal. This is our main desire. Because we know that when Paul said, if you walk by the Spirit, you're not going to gratify those desires that come from your flesh. Instead, it's going to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But we also know that Paul wrote to the church in Rome and he said, listen, there are, there's this problem that I have. Those things that I do... I'm doing the things I don't want to do. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I find myself doing. And we nod along with Paul because we know that it's our experience because we do things that we don't want to do. And the things of God, the chasing after God that we want, we just can't do it. So, naturally… This all brings us into this very real question, probably the the biggest question of this series, and and it's asking this, what do you do when you know you've messed up? What, What do you do when you know that that opportunity that you messed up because of your pride What do you do when when you destroy that part? What what do you do when the consequences of your actions make it so you're no longer able to move forward in your job, make it so you're no, no longer able to move forward in that relationship? What do you do when you're supposed to speak up and you chose not to? What do you do when that costs someone dearly? What do you do when when your pride makes it where you say no to people helping you? What do you do when your pride makes it to where you say, I'm fine in my relationship with God when you are drowning? What do you do when you know that you have really messed up, you've said things you shouldn't, you've done things you shouldn't, and you feel alone? I'll tell you what most people do. They let their anger control them. They let that become an an explosion of anger. And that anger, that pride, that arrogance, it all begins to cloud our thinking. What do you do when you hit that difficult spot? What do you do when there's a conflict in front of you? you? How do you manage that? How do you navigate that? Well, women and men kind of go at it a little bit different. Often, women get together and they talk about it because apparently women are relational. Guys, that's the free tip for today, okay? Women are relational. They're not the, the strong silent type. They like to be talked to. They like to sit down and have a conversation. Conversation equals back and forth talking <laughs> with listening, Okay. We might have to do a master class later, but for right now, women enjoy getting together and talking, and sometimes that happens when they gather each other and they go to the restroom. Oftentimes, it happens at a coffee shop. But men, what do we do? We act out. We act out in anger. We act out in prideful arrogance. We, we act out in all of these areas, or we just say, you know what? I'm going to go hide myself in my hobby, I'm going to and just, just jump into that all out. I'm gonna draw into my work, and I'm just going to make it where that's my life and all these other conflicts. Well, surely they'll work out because besides, my my wife's on it. And we look at our life and we think: life is just about winning. And life is just about the accomplishments that I have. Because at the bottom of, of every, every, every man's brain, every man's fear is this. Our, our greatest fear is failure, and our greatest pain is regret. Our, our greatest fear is, is that we're going to fail at this, that we're going to fail our family, that we're going to fail in our job, that we're going to fail to secure a future. And our greatest pain are those choices that we didn't take, those options that we didn't press forward in, those times that we didn't say, I'm sorry. Because we made those choices with our finances. We we decided to get in that payment plan, get locked in for eight years. Very low interest rate, though, eight years. And we got locked in. And we find ourselves never getting ahead. And we've been working for 30 or 35 years, and we're still living paycheck to paycheck. Or we start beginning thinking that maybe things are a little bit stagnant, and so we begin to pursue a relationship outside of marriage or to kind of help ourselves manage and cope with what's going on around us, we, we get entangled up in an addiction. To kind of fix our money issue, we decide that gambling's probably a good idea. We decide, you know what, uh, I, I'm not really good at this whole relationship thing, so I'm just going to find it online. I'm going to pursue my desires online. Or, you know what, I'm just going to drown it out with alcohol and drugs, and I'm just going to kind of dull the pain. And as a result, we break our promises to others, we break our promises to God, and we find out that we really don't know even the first thing about following after Jesus. But what I want to show you this morning is that Samson's story shows us that just because we failed at something or we failed at several somethings, it doesn't mean that you are a failure. Because failure is an event, never a person. We saw Samson, this man, this strong man who failed time after time after time. He repeatedly did not get it right. He continued to do the things that left others going, will this guy ever learn? But God still accomplished His purpose through a man who just couldn't get it right. Samson stood as the intermediary, the one, the, the boundary between the Philistines and Israel, the one that would keep the Philistines at bay so the Israelites would know that they had the freedom to worship God, the freedom to not bow their knee to the Philistines. So he stood as a judge for 20 years as the boundary between the Philistines and the Israelites. And so, how do you get there? What do you do when your failure ends you up in a place like Samson? No longer can see because your eyes are gouged out and you are in bondage and you're grinding grain like an ox. Book of Judges says, now the lords of the Philistines, they gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. The lords of the Philistines gathered to celebrate what their money had purchased because you remember they gave Delilah money to figure out how to subdue Samson because they couldn't figure out how to do it on their own strength. And so they asked her, hey, listen, if you'll do that thing that you do and tell him that he doesn't love you, unless he gives you everything. So they gathered their money, and they gave their money to Delilah, and they purchased the capture of Samson. And so naturally, they gathered to offer sacrifices to their god, Dagon. And Dagon, if you look it up on Google, Dagon is this... um, is this God of the Philistines that, that was half fish, half man? Some make him look like a merman, and others make him look like a fish man. It just depends on whoever uh, drew the drawing at the moment. But here's the thing they offered sacrifices to this God this fish man, in a temple. The temple to Dagon uh, was more like a Colosseum. It's not like this this domed kind of solemn place. Instead, it was one with multiple layers. Think terraces and mezzanines and rooftop viewing areas. And many people came to this temple to offer worship to this fish god Dagon and celebrate the victory over Samson. So here's what they said. Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. Because Samson now had turned from this strong man that was the barrier between two countries. And he became a sideshow spectacle for the Philistine people. And they said, they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand. The ravager of our country. Remember when Samson got a little upset about this whole debacle at the altar, right? He went and he found some fox about, you know, a small amount, about 300. And he tied them together in pairs and he put a torch on their tails and they sent them out into the field to destroy the harvest of the Philistines and destroy everything that they had gathered for their uh, future needs. He ravaged their country, took away their support. And then he killed many of us. Remember that whole incident with the, the jawbone of a donkey? He killed 1,000 men slinging a jawbone. The scripture says, and when their hearts were merry, after they had settled into the celebration there in the temple of Dagon, as they were, as they were looking at how to, to celebrate and, and look to the victory that came through their purchase, after they sat, settled into their celebration, they pulled out the, the, the solo cups and they sufficient, sufficiently lubricated their conscience. They got merry, and they said, call Samson to entertain us. Bring out the strong man make him do some tricks. Let let us throw some things at him. Let us mock him. Let us us do a little bit of a play about how we are more mighty than he. Let me talk big to this strong man in chains. He's still chained, right? But in this temple, in this holy spot, the most holy spot of the Philistines, in their capital city, this is where they made their sacrifices for the harvest and to Dagon. Dagon. And it's in this place, in this moment, as Samson is there being called out to entertain, that he realizes one thing is absolutely for certain. He has failed. And I think there are two responses that we can have to failure. The natural response is remorse. Remorse is saying things like, you know, I I just feel so bad. And I, I just feel like I'm a horrible person. I, I feel so bad that I got caught. I, I feel so horrible that, that you saw me do that. I, I, I feel shame because, well, I got caught. But, but to be honest, it, it really, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. Uh, it's Delilah's fault. You saw her. She seduced me. She tricked me into telling her all of these things after she asked me several times Listen, she just nagged me. She just continued to go on and on and on and on, and I thought I was going to die. She just kept on asking. So it's not, as you can see, it's not really my fault. Besides, I didn't even choose this life. I didn't choose this. I didn't ask for this strength. It was something that God did. God did it. So God, really, this is your fault. The natural response When we fail, it's remorse. But the better response is repentance. Repentance says, I'm I'm sorry. I am genuinely, deeply sorry. And I take responsibility for my actions. I take responsibility for the consequences of my actions. For Samson, he realizes that God had entrusted him to be that barrier between the Philistines and Israel, to be serve as a judge, to give them this place where they knew that they would be free to worship God. But often, so many times, Samson did not follow. He used the gifts that God had given him with strength, and he used them for himself because he cho- chose to go after the things that he wanted He wanted to marry that woman. He wanted to engage in those relationships. He wanted to make that bet. He wanted to do so many things. He chased after his wants. And he tricked himself into believing that he deserved those things. I deserve the spoils for my strength. I deserve to kind of just engage in my biggest desires. Besides, I can handle it. And in fact, that was the beginning of the end for him in that moment where his head was shaven. He thought, I'm going to get out of this because I've always gotten out of it before I can handle it. His pride and his arrogance directed him and moved him to this very step. But what he found out is what we know is that you cannot unsin. You can't unsin. You can only repent. You can't unsleep with the person that you've slept with. You can't undo something that you've already done. You can't undo a bad business decision. You can't unlook at something that you've already seen, and you can't unsay something that you've already said. You can't undo sin. You can only repent. Remorse. Remorse is always looking backwards. It's always going back and kind of shadowing it with with guilt and with with, well someone else's fault. Remorse always looks backwards and pulls you back to that place that you don't want to be. Remorse is looking to the past, but repentance, it moves us forward. Repentance allows us to step into the what's next. So don't let your failures limit your future. Don't let those things that you've struggled in continue to define you. Don't decide that for whatever reason you are somehow beyond the power of God. Don't believe that, that you're beyond the power of God to use you for His plan And his purpose. And so, as we look at the life of Samson, we find him in this spot, and he finally remembers. He remembers his purpose is to provide a safety and a barrier for the freedom of worship to his heavenly Father for his people. And he finally gets it through his thick skull that he was never the hero, that God, God is the hero. And God had set him apart from his birth to deliver his people. And so the Spirit stirred in him. And I think maybe for the very first time, Samson realized this. He realized that this is not about me. He stopped thinking about himself. And he chose to change his future. And Samson goes all in. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They took joy in his bondage and they humiliated him with a show. And they made him stand between the pillars of the temple. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, He said, Hey, um, let me feel the pillars on which this whole house rests, that I may lean myself against them because I am so tired. Scripture says that the house was full of men and women, and the lords of the Philistines were there as well. And on the rooftop alone there were 3,000 men and women, and they all looked on and cheered as Samson entertained. They looked on while Samson entertained. And then Samson finally, in this moment of clarity, calls out to God and says, Oh, Lord God, please remember me. God, if if you would just give me one more chance. God, this is it. I'm not going to need a second chance. God, would you just give me one more chance? Because I'm not going to need two. Please strengthen me, Samson says, only this once, oh, God. And what happens next helps us understand that even in our failures, God can still accomplish His purpose. Even after we've made a wreck of our lives, even after those choices that we've made have impacted generations in our family… God can still greatly use us, but it hinges on not remorse or regret that we made those choices. It hinges on repentance. In repentance, God can use us. In repentance, God moves us forward. Repentance is life-changing. It's turning completely around, stopping, full stop, turn around, about face, and stepping back towards the things that God has been telling you, going forward, failing, forward, your future, forward, saying, God, I trust you with my action. Repentance is not passive. Repentance is active. And so, Samson, he grasps the two middle pillars which, on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one, And his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength. And as a result, he made the cover of Sunday School Weekly. (laughs) But he gave all that he had looking to honor God for his first and would be last. And so the house fell upon the Lord's and all the people that were in it. Scripture said that the dead that were killed at his death were more than the ones that he had killed during his life. And while we look at it and we go, well, that sounds absolutely horrible. Remember, this was the way that judgment was meted. God creating a difference between his people and the others. It's never too late, though, for us to do what God wants us to do. And I want you to hear that, that it's never too late. You're never too old. You're never too far gone for you to do what God wants you to do because you may be down, but you're not out. And it's never, ever, ever too late because every single day is an opportunity for giving real repentance. Writer of Proverbs says, for the righteous falls seven times and rises again. It doesn't matter how many times you fall. It only matters that you get back up, failing forward. For some of us, though, for us to be able to fail forward, that means that we need to offer true repentance to our Heavenly Father Today, we need to probably push down some pillars in our own lives. How many of us are in here struggling with pride, thinking that we've got this, that no matter how hard it gets, we have the ability to make it through because, well, have you seen how impressive I am? We feel like our anger is justified. If you had seen... If you had heard, how dare they? Oh, wait, that's my pride. Some of us have lust that we need to knock out of our lives. I'm not just talking about that online issue that you're dealing with. I'm also talking about your pursuit for things that don't belong to you. It belongs to you when you've earned it. Simple, right? But we get greedy. We take more than we should. We keep stuff that we should give. And all the while, we use this idea that we are somehow entitled to it. And we compare ourselves to others We say, you know what? I'm better than them, so obviously I deserve this. Of course, we'd never say that out loud. But some of us have these pillars that have been making us be people in bondage for all of our life. And we walk through life looking back at all of our regrets, and we've never walked in freedom, and all the while we say, I'm just afraid I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail my relationship with my spouse. I'm going to fail in my relationship with my kids. I'm never going to have enough. I'm never going to be enough. And we find ourselves in this spiral of failure that keeps us from being the people that God wants us to be. So the question is, how are we going to fail forward? We ask these questions. We ask this question, what pillar are you going to push down? What pillar through the strength of Christ at work in you are you going to push down? Because your failure does not define you. Your sin cannot hold you because of what Jesus came to destroy. He destroyed the bondage of sin in our lives. He defeated it all on the cross. So what pillars are you going to push down? And how are you going to do it? I've been doing this a long time, and there's only one way I know, faith in Jesus, true repentance, not walking in remorse or guilt or shame or any other emotion that we can conjure up when it comes to church. I'm talking about repentance open heart to God saying, God, I have sinned and I am responsible for my sin and I give it to you claiming the sacrifice of Jesus. God, help me to get up, to turn around and walk away and go straight to your plan, your purpose. Stop taking steps away. Turn around. Look up. See the grace, the hope, the mercy that comes From Jesus. The Apostle Paul said that there's an element of grace and an element of following Jesus that that we die daily. It's a daily act. And I'm curious. I'm curious if, if we could truly get this right, this whole repentance and following Jesus thing. We'd be spurred on by what it spurred D.L. Moody on when he heard the world has yet to see what God can do through a man who is totally yielded to Him. So today may be that day for you where you finally yield fully to God. Because truth be told, you've been doing this church thing a whole long time, You've been doing this church face, this church game. you've had one foot in and one foot out. You have one foot following Jesus, the other one doing the hokey-pokey. I don't know what it's doing. But it's out there, and it's causing division and tension in you, because you are resisting the work of God inside. You've been resisting because you've been chasing the things that you think you deserve. You've been resisting because you've got this. It's just a little sin. I can handle it. But the world has yet to see what God can do through a man who is totally yielded to him.